This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, editor-in-chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. And uh, today I have the great pleasure of uh, interviewing Dr. Brad Monk, who is a professor in gynecologic oncology at the University of Arizona, also the medical director of gynecologic oncology research for U.S. Oncology and the board of directors of the GOG Foundation. Um, today we're going to be speaking about two very important studies, the uh, Javelin 100 and Javelin 200 that were published in Lancet Oncology in uh, 2021. And uh, certainly lots to cover. Um, you know, certainly we're going to be uh, addressing the, the topic of um, the uh, avilimab uh, in, in the setting of upfront uh, treatment and the setting of recurrent disease and uh, related topics as well. So we're really very excited to, uh, to have this discussion with you, Brad, and thank you so much for allowing the time to discuss this with us. Pedro, thank you, and I want to really call you out for your wonderful work with the journal. It's been a lot of work. You've really transformed this really excellent publication, taking it to a level that I never thought was possible. It was already a good journal. Now it's even better. And I'm excited to be with you today. Thank you. So thank you so, so much, Brad. And uh, when we just uh, get started, let's talk about um, some, some uh, basic and introductory information. Um, let's start by discussing what, why was the introduction of Avilumab uh, considered to be an important question uh, to be explored in the upfront management of patients with advanced ovarian cancer. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so first of all, let's just define what Avelumab is. It is uh, sold under the brand name uh, Bavencio. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'm going to use the generic name. Everything that I say today is fair, balanced, and unbiased, and I'm not paid for this today, and so I just want to give that uh, disclosure. It's a fully human monoclonal antibody uh, uh, I, I call it a medication because it's for people that are sick, you know, approved in Merkel cell, uro, uro epithelial and renal cell cancer. We wanted to see if we could bring it to the clinic uh, in ovarian cancer because that's, that's what you and I do. This is what your readers and listeners do is bring medicines to ovarian cancer patients that are sick. And so we thought that we could integrate it into the first line treatment of advanced ovarian cancer. Great. And, um, and, and Brad, just a, a little bit with regards to um, the, the process of how cytotoxic chemotherapy stimulates immunosurveillance. Yeah, so there sort of are three ways, I think, to improve on, you know, PD-1, PD-L1 uh, 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 immune therapy, sort of three ways. Number one add it to chemotherapy or radiation. We've seen this validated many times, um, and uh, we're doing it in cervical cancer, particularly, as you know, and maybe we should talk a little bit more about uh, how Pembro can be added to chemotherapy, number one. Number two, they can be added to an anti-VEGF, whether it's an oral TKI, such as lenvatinib, or an antibody, such as bevacizumab, and again, you see that let's say, in Pembrol and Batnib and endometrial cancer. And, and we can maybe talk about how that does not apply to an, an ovarian cancer and that that, that study, imagine 50, adding avelumab, excuse me, uh, atezolizumab to pembrolizumab in ovarian cancer was a negative trial published in the JCO in June 2021. And then finally, adding CTLA-4 is the third way. So number one, adding to chemotherapy. Number two, adding to anti-VEGF. And number three, adding to another checkpoint inhibitor such as CTLA-4 or anti-TIGIT. 
So it made a lot of sense that we're just going to sit there and add chemotherapy, immunogenic cytotoxic chemotherapy to uh, a velumab and together show that we can improve clinical outcomes in, in ovarian cancer. And this was an enormously, enormously popular study. We enrolled it in almost a year. Very exciting, uh, except it was negative. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. So then let's, let's get on to your primary objective. When you and the, and the team was putting together the Javelin uh, 100 study, um, that was the, the chemotherapy with or without avilumab followed by amelumab uh, maintenance versus chemotherapy alone in, in previously untreated epithelial ovarian cancer patient. Um, what, was it, what was the objective of that study for you guys? Yeah, good point. So again, three-arm study, uh, balanced, uh, randomized one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one, just like you said, uh, studying it in maintenance. As you know from GOG 218, that was the missing arm of maintenance bevacizumab. We probably should have studied it. So I don't want to make that same mistake here. So there was a, just a maintenance checkpoint inhibitor, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and again, this is a PD-L1 antibody, not a PD-1. Uh, and then also adding it to chemotherapy and then in maintenance, and then chemotherapy uh, plus placebo. So three-arm trial trying to answer the key question. And, and Pedro, I, I was confident that this was going to be positive. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 yeah, right? Um, and and, and, uh, and, and the, in, in ovarian cancer, newly diagnosed advanced ovarian cancer, the endpoint probably has to be progression-free survival mm -hmm. um, because the post-progression survival, meaning patients live so long, that the upfront intervention probably is not going to help patients live longer. So you can't probably do that. And also there's crossover frequently, meaning uh, that patients might get a checkpoint inhibitor later, which would further contaminate an overall survival endpoint. So, you know, this, like all of our frontline trials, all of them, uh, progression-free survival was the primary endpoint. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we always uh, often discuss is, the importance of the eligibility as to which patients you include and which do you exclude. Um, tell us a little bit more about that in this particular study. Yeah, so uh, as you know, in our, in our uh, ovarian cancer studies, we're trying to you know, create a real-world opportunity. So mm -hmm. patients that have primary debulking or neoadjuvant, both, and this trial did that, Um, but excluding patients that are, quite frankly, too sick, so excluding the performance status ECOG-2s. So if the patient was in ECOG-0 or 1, uh, had primary or neoadjuvant debulking, and then had an epithelial cancer, we sort of exclude the sarcomas and the rare cell types, mm -hmm. then, we're, then we're ready to roll. And, and those are you know, 85% of the ovarian cancer patients that we see anyways, or at least the advanced ovarian cancer patients. So it was a broad eligibility in a practical opportunity. And, and they, again, we enrolled 998 patients in a year <laughs> because everybody said, yeah, right. Everyone said, Brad, that's a great idea. I want to put my patient on it because my patient comes to the office and says, I want immune therapy. And here we created this opportunity and two of the three arms got a Velimab, right? Right. So, so there's a two thirds of the patients got the intervention. And then uh, back to the endpoint, it was placebo controlled, So you could have confidence that the investigator wasn't contaminating the endpoint based on an open label biased study. 
Yeah. And, and Brad, one of the questions that we, uh, we often have questions from our fellows in the journal, uh, and this question comes from uh, Ceci Darin from uh, Argentina. And she asks, in, in the exclusion criteria of Javelin 100, you mentioned that cancer for which bevacizumab was identified as a clinically beneficial frontline treatment um, were excluded. Um, can you be more specific about that? Yeah, excellent point. So uh, this this trial opened in May 2016. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, bevacizumab was widely used around the world, particularly in Europe. And so we thought that, look, if the investigator thinks bevacizumab is a better option, um, then you should do it. Um, so we wrote that in there just to be clear. Um, as you know, bevacizumab frontline GUG218 didn't get approved until June of 2018. So again, when we opened this trial, we didn't know that was going to happen. In fact, this study uh, finished enrollment before bevacizumab was ever FDA approved. So we, we wanted to be practical. We wanted to be fair to patients. Um, and that's why that was written in. Thank you for asking that question. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about the planned interim analyses that you included in the study. Yeah, thank you. So um, our most valuable resource, right? And most important resource is patience. Mm -hmm. So the last thing we want to do is to continue to enroll a study that's working really well. Uh, what we want to do is we want to announce it to the world. And you'll see here uh, in cervical cancer, Keynote 826 was stopped at, a few, at interim analysis for superiority. Uh, Cervix Empower 1 stopped at an interim analysis for superiority. And then third, Keynote, 30, uh, Keynote 775 and ASI309 also stopped at an interim analysis for superiority. But in addition to superiority stoppages, we also build in a futility analysis because we also can make the mistake the other way, put patients through all the rigmarole with the clinical trial and it's not helping them. Right. So, so just stop it. And, and these are pre-specified endpoints. So they're pre-specified, meaning that we, we work with an independent data safety monitoring committee and we say, look, if this happens, we would ask you to look at it secretly and then ultimately tell us that, you know, this is never going to work. Yeah. And, and, and so that's what we did. So we, we had an independent data safety monitoring committee, which for randomized trials is required by the FDA. And we had a pre-specified futility boundary. And that boundary was for progression-free survival. And I'm sorry to say, at the first futility boundary, the study was stopped for futility. So it's one thing to say, oh, Brad, it didn't work. But we never even really got to the end of the study mm -hmm. because it was so ineffective that the study was stopped early. You know, and to your yeah, go ahead. You know, go ahead. I, and I, I actually just wanted to highlight exactly to, to the, the, the point you're making, and I'm really glad that you are uh, articulating it as clearly as you are for particularly our younger uh, members of the audience that um, these are the reasons for uh, certainly implementing these these uh, these are interim analyses to assure that our patients gain that the, the benefit of uh, of the, the 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 drug if there is a benefit or certainly the futility that is stopped. So I'm glad that uh, you pointed that out. Yeah, and and here's here's the most interesting thing that not only was the study stopped for futility, 
but the medication, the hazard ratio in the maintenance arm, so carboplatin, paclitaxel, avelumab, the hazard ratio was 1.43. And that, that, that hazard ratio uh, 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 did not overlap uh, one. So you say, well, you mean it was statistically significantly uh, harmful? You can't really say that because it wasn't a purely analytic test. In other words, multiple comparisons were not controlled for. But that's terrible. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's why, exactly to your point, um, uh, uh, that you know, the hazard ratio for 1.43 was 1.05 to, point, to, 1.05 to 1.95. So if we would have tried to prove that it was harmful and made it, put it in the statistical analysis plan, this study would have showed that it was harmful mm-hmm. and, it, and it's opened this whole conundrum because we have other checkpoint inhibitor trials that are ongoing. I get it PD-1s generally mm-hmm. rather than PDL-1s. And is it ethical to continue those studies? Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. Um, and, and I'm glad that we finally got this in the literature and I've heard no repercussions of Another data safety monitoring committee saying, well, you know, we need to make sure that we're not hurting patients. And again, this was only published uh, uh, this month, September Mm -hmm. uh, 2021. So I think there's people, you, me, are still digesting it. And I'm receiving feedback and I'm excited to hear your feedback on this trial. And I I invested a lot of my life, (laughs) you know, in this. this. And so... um, um, the good news is there are no new safety signals, but um, you know I'm very disappointed, and I, you know, I, I, I hold myself responsible and accountable. You know, I get it that it, as I would say, it was a good idea at the time, <laughs> but 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 it really wasn't, right? It really wasn't because there was no phase two study to show that adding immune therapy in maintenance or to chemotherapy and in maintenance should work. Now, what people would say is, come on, Brad, you're too hard on yourself. <laughs> you couldn't really do a phase two trial because, you know, the uh, carboplatin paclitaxel are so active. You really need to do a randomized trial and a randomized trial is what you did. Yeah. And, and, and to the point, we actually did stop the trial when it wasn't working. So we tried to, uh, you know, exercise our fiduciary sort of uh, obligation um, but I feel bad about it. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, wonderful positive trials. Not this one. Well, I mean, and that's the that's the the importance and the beauty of of proceeding with these important trials is to 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 see what the actual answer is to your question, regardless of, you know, certainly how we as the investi- investigators feel about it. Um, and, and certainly, I, I I had that same feeling as you know uh, in the past. Uh, so. Brad, as we get to you know certainly looking at some of the details, you saw you saw that there was no difference in uh, in, in the outcomes in the in the arms, um, but then obviously there are some questions that arise with regards to the details of the of the groups. Um, the completion rate for each group um, was it the same? What was the most common reason for discontinuation of of treatment in in any of the groups? Yeah, the most common reasons really were related to. Uh, the cytotoxic agents, uh, so such as anemia, um, grade three, four was 21%. Um, but it wasn't different versus abelumab. In the abelumab group, it was 19%. So those numbers are very similar. Uh, certainly uh, neutropenia. Um, uh, so those are sort of standard treatments. 
um, the uh, adverse reactions um, were a little higher in, in, in the checkpoint inhibitor group, which, as you know, happens. But there were no new safety signals observed. Um, um, you know, we have, as I already mentioned in the introduction, we have a lot of experience with the Velimab uh, and the other, I guess there are six others that are approved now. So we have seven FDA-approved PD-1 and PDL ones in the clinic. Um, and uh, I, I get asked all the time, are they different? And, you know, I've sort of changed my perspective. I think they are probably different. And, you know, they're different in, in their doses and in their schedules and in their indications and, you know, maybe the reason that this was negative is because it was a Velimab. Yeah. Maybe if it would have been pembrolizumab or dervalumab or something else, it would have been different or better. But there's no way to know. And, and we'll never compare, you know, pembrolizumab to, you know, simiplumab or dervalumab or dostarlumab. We'll just never do it. Yeah. And, and uh, Brad, a couple of questions that came up also from the fellows was regarding um, certainly, you know, not not the numbers from, from this study, but uh, from what we know from the literature uh, regarding immune checkpoint inhibitors in the rare histologic subtypes like uh, low-grade or clear cell endometrioid. Any thoughts you, you have on those? I love it. Thank you. And uh, you guys it's got a lot of smart fellows. <laughs> so in those Let's let's take low grade serous because low grade serous is a different entity with MAP kinase, RAS, RAF, MEC, ERK, and that's an exciting discussion. But in these sort of clear cell, uh, even the uh, low grade endometrioid and the mucinous tumors, many of those are uh, have a high mutational burden, and in fact, some of them can be mismatch repair deficient or MSI high and would be able to be treated on label with some of our existing checkpoint inhibitors. And there were not sufficient numbers of those patients in this trial to make a conclusion, but um, uh, I like it. And so I routinely check uh, DMMR, IHC, just like you immunohistochemistry, just like you do in an endometrial cancer on those tumor types. And you can also you know, get a, a, a mutational burden if you wanna do next-gen sequencing as an example. So um, that's it's 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 an it's an excellent point. Um, thank you. So and and then also another question that came up uh, was regarding the PDL one status. Is that a predictor of any benefit of treatment with avilumab? Yeah. Um, so let's let's take that as a class effect. So first of all, PDL one status uh, is an imperfect biomarker, but it still is a biomarker. And it's integrated into the label for many of the approved checkpoint inhibitors. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, it, it didn't appear to have any effect in Javelin 100, but in Javelin 200, which was in platinum-resistant recurrent ovarian cancer, uh, it, it, it did have a little bit of an impact. And the, the best trial, as, as you know, is Imagine 50, which is Bevacizumab Atezo. Mm -hmm. So in, in the Bevacizumab Atezo, Imagine 50, again, another mm -hmm. negative trial. But the hazard ratio for Atezo bevacizumab versus bevacizumab alone was 0.92. But when you restricted it and refined it to the PDL1 positive, it went from 0.92 to 0.8. So I think it is a biomarker, not to the same level as it is, let's say, in lung cancer mm -hmm. or even cervical cancer, to that matter. Um, and the threshold is not known, right? The antibody is not <laughs> known. Um, 
and it's and it's it's not just the PDL one; it's also the uh, immune cells that are that are there. It's the CD eight cells. So you got to have all three components. You got to have medication. You got to have a target, which is PDL one, and then you need to have the immune effector cells there that can <laughs> ideally not be either one of these trials. All three of them, they need the immune effector cells to kill the cancer cells. Yeah. But it didn't happen in all three of these negative results. So then, um, Brad, I, I just want to ask you a couple more questions in the upfront setting and then uh, jump into the recurrent disease. Uh, this next question comes from Eric Estrada. He's in Guatemala. Um, and he asks, given the results of Imagine 50 and uh, Javelin 100, um, should we give up on evaluating immune checkpoints in the frontline mm. treatment of ovarian cancer? So, no. Um but maybe. <laughs> so how's that? Um, so so here's here's the Eric's, uh, Eric's pretty direct. <laughs> uh, well, but 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 let me tell you. So so we didn't have sufficient phase two data mm -hmm. for either avelumab alone or atezolizumab plus bevacizumab. Mm -hmm. We did it, and they were negative. We don't have phase two data for PARP inhibitors, right? Mm -hmm. And and so. All of the existing trials that are ongoing with checkpoint inhibitors have a PARP inhibitor in it, niraparib, olaparib, or recaparib. Mm -hmm. And, and is, is a PARP inhibitor plus IO with or without BEV, is that going to be the aha moment? Mm -hmm. I can tell you, if you're given five medications, carboplatin, paclitaxel, bevacizumab, and a PARP, um, uh, actually, six, uh, yeah, plus plus a uh, IO. Mm -hmm. One, two, three, four. If you're given five, carboplatin, paclitaxel, bev, parp, and IO, you better have a, a, a pretty impactful result. Right. Um, and and so I, I, not all of the studies have five interventions. Some are just four. Mm -hmm. um, but and the, all of the studies are enrolled. All of them. Yeah. They're all done. For, you know, first and Athena, uh, 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 um, uh, Keylink. Um, so they're enrolled, um, and I rely on, to the point that we made earlier, the Data Safety Monitoring Committee to sort of manage our most valuable resource patients, because again, the studies are all enrolled, yeah. and if it's not working, they need to pull the plug, uh, just like we did on Javelin 100, and again, I applaud the, uh, 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 the, the Independent Data Safety Monitoring Committee, and I applaud the sponsor. Remember when the IBMC makes a recommendation, the sponsor can say, "Oh, we're going to ignore it." And we've actually done we've actually done that before. I don't want to tell you when, um, <laughs> because you have to have a reason. But um, you know the, the the integrity of the clinical trial and the preservation of the safety and the patient is paramount. Yeah. And then, Brad, one last question. You mentioned in uh, in your discussion um, several really exciting trials. The duo. Uh, the mm -hmm. NGOT OV44 and got OV43. Mm -hmm. What's exciting about those? What should be something that we're really looking forward to to seeing from those studies? So, if if you if if you know me, I try to be honest and transparent to you. I'm not very excited. Mm. <laughs> so you know, and and I'm the PI one of those, <laughs> and and and. Um, Again, I, I, you know, the, the patients are enrolled, and here's what I also say: you know, the patients that were enrolled and where it wasn't working, they've already progressed. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, the and patient and patients with advanced newly diagnosed ovarian cancer do progress, but um, I'm not optimistic. Mm -hmm. And I and, and and how could I be? Because we're describing, you know, three 
negative trials, Javelin 100, Javelin 200, and Imagine 50. So I, I love PARP inhibitors, as you know. Mm -hmm. We all do. They're important. Um, and I hope that somehow that the secret sauce for checkpoint inhibitors will be a PARP inhibitor. But I'm, I'm not optimistic. Again, that doesn't mean we should give up. But um, I've, I've lost my enthusiasm for checkpoint inhibitors in ovarian cancer. Given our current understanding, given the lack of a biomarker, um, I've lost my enthusiasm. And maybe someday I'll get up at the podium and say, look, this is the study that you guys did. We finally did it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I hope that that's true for patients because, again, that's what's most important but I'm not optimistic. I think we've sort of moved on, right? We've moved on to antibody drug conjugates and novel combinations and tumor treating fields and VB111 gene therapy. And uh, 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 so we've moved on trying to look at other opportunities because the checkpoint inhibitor story in ovarian cancer has not been very exciting. But in cervix, right, we have two phase three trials in cervical cancer that are positive, which are not labeled yet, but will be. We have another checkpoint inhibitor, bastilumab. We have antibody drug conjugates in cervical cancer. And we have labels across the board in endometrial, NSI high pembrolone, and otherwise pembrolone vatin. Mm -hmm. so, so it's just, it's something unique about the biology of ovarian cancer. And I need smart guys like you and your listeners to figure it out. If you can tell me what to do, you know, I enjoy working in the networks within the GOG and the European networks and LACOG that... Uh, you know, all of these wonderful networks, we can get the study done, but we need some science to justify the expense. And I don't just mean numbers of dollars uh, 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 or other currencies. I mean, the, the expense of patients. Yeah. And the, the innovative thinking as well. So then now, uh, Brad, let's move on to recurrent disease. Uh, another key uh, trial, the Javelin 200, Avilomab alone or in combination with chemotherapy versus chemotherapy alone in platinum resistant platinum refractory ovarian cancer also published in lancet oncology congratulations june 2021 so let's start by congratulations by for a failure thanks man <laughs> i thought you were my friend keep going keep going outstanding but uh let's see um why did you pursue evaluating immune checkpoint inhibitors in this patient population platinum refractory platinum resistant uh mm -hmm. what data did we have to consider this option yeah, so great question. Um, so in the preclinical models, okay, in the, the best cytotoxic for immunogenic cell death was doxorubicin, that is to say liposomal doxorubicin. So there was some preclinical data that said, you know, we know you were working on carboplatin paclitaxel frontline, but the best companion from our preclinical standpoint was liposomal doxorubicin. That was number one. Number two um, uh, you know, the platinum resistant uh, setting is a high is our highest unmet medical need. So we, we, we again, we wanted two shots on goal. You know, we wanted we, again, it, we, I can tell you what works. We wanted GOG 218 and Aurelia, right? Just just like we have with with Bevacizumab. The problem the, the issue is, is that, you know, Bevacizumab actually works and Avelumab doesn't. And so the, the other interesting thing, again, trying to learn from our prior experience, we wanted a targeted therapy alone. So Javelin 200, um, 566 patients, it was liposomal doxorubicin versus Avelumab. 
And then the combination of Elamab, liposomal doxorubicin. We were so excited at the time. And, and let's face it, liposomal doxorubicin doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. We were, maybe checkpoint is even better than liposomal doxorubicin. Mm. Not. High bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah, well I, it was actually a low bar, but I was hoping that it would, to your point, it, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, um, and again, I'm sorry. Um, this trial had a, an endpoint of both progression-free survival and overall survival. You can take your p-value of 0.05 and sort of share it, both with the PFS and the overall survival, and that's what we did. But this trial was you know, negative backwards and forwards and sideways. And whether it was PFS or whether it was overall survival, uh, there was no clinical benefit in the addition of abelumab to liposomal doxorubicin or even abelumab alone. Yeah. I, I meant high bar, given that all the data from from the from the primary setting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, right. Thank so, you. I get it, <laughs> Brad. Uh, <clears throat> with regards to, I mean, I think that this 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 trial, uh, these trials exemplify the massive collaboration. I just have to say again, congratulations. Uh, I noted it was uh, for Javelin two hundred, one hundred and forty nine hospitals. 24 countries, so really very remarkable. So congratulations on that. Um, now, I want to get on to the ideal candidates for, for this study. Who did you consider uh, as an ideal candidate? How many previous lines of chemotherapy were, were you allowed? Um, which patients were excluded from this study? Yeah, thank you. And I want to echo, you know, this is these are massive collaborative efforts. So if you look at Javelin 200, first author is French, second author is Japanese, Third author is British, fourth author is Canadian, right? And I'm the last author and I'm American. So it is, and there's a Korean, there's a Swiss, there's, you know, all sorts of uh, 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 really just collaboration. And that's, that's really I- I- exciting for me. Mm-hmm. So Javelin 200, um, again, to your point, 149 hospitals in 24 countries. Again, epithelial ovarian cancer. Um, uh, maximum of three prior lines for platinum sensitive, uh, none for platinum resistant. Again, good ECAG, COG status, and then they're all uh, platinum resistant. So um, uh, basically three prior lines, and and we rolled, and we used the, the 40 milligrams per square meter of liposomal doxorubicin. Remember, we studied it at 50. The regulatory agencies have accepted sort of 40 as a more practical dose. And... Um, and we did it, and I'm 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 sorry that I'm sorry, and and um, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, no, I, I completely, uh, you know, lo- love the 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 investigator honesty in this and uh, in, in these questions and, and answers. Um, primary and secondary endpoints of uh, Javelin 200. Yeah, so a co-primary. I don't like to use co, but it's dual. So if mm-hmm. either endpoint would have been positive, PFS or OS, we would have declared victory, and we probably would have been able at least to make a compelling point for regulatory approval. Um, the the biomarker data here is is more informative uh, than Javelin 100 because this trial actually finished. Mm-hmm. You know, Javelin 100 never finished because it was stopped in an interim futility analysis. But the, the biomarker data is still coming out here and will be presented at an upcoming meeting, um, I think, at the European Society of Gynecologic Oncology and more granularity. 
but the but the PDO one status here was even more inform, informative, and and um, uh, but it you know wasn't the the endpoint that we had identified. So you can't say you know let's use it in this you know hypothesis generating subset. You would need to do a hypothesis testing, fully analytic endpoint. And Brad, one of the things that I think is important to highlight, particularly to our audience who may not be as familiar uh, in treating patients with these line of agents uh, and something that always comes up in discussion with our radiologists, in evaluating for response, um, how did you deal with pseudoprogression? And can you just briefly explain what is pseudoprogression in this setting? Yeah, it's complicated. And every trial is a little different. Um, and that's why in this particular trial, the progression-free survival was blinded uh, uh, by an independent central review. Um, and what, what the, the theory is, is that if, if the medications are working, um, um, if the medications are working, there might be an influx of immune cells into uh, the tumor and there might be swelling of the tumor which is related to the influx of immune cells rather than uh, progression. And so you have to confirm that, the, that there's a progression, what's called IR resist, um, rather than just taking it at, at its, uh, uh, at its uh, 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 face value. Mm -hmm. So um, that, 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 that it's complicated. I don't really think that um, uh, pseudoprogression is, is a real thing, at least not in the tumors that we treat. Um, and so I, I kind of look at that as a distraction, quite frankly. Yeah. So then now let's get on to the, uh, the main point, the findings of the study, the results of the study. Did Avilumab plus liposomal doxorubicin or Avilumab alone have any impact oncologically on these patients? So I've, you know, it didn't, and I've sort of, you know, uh, uh, said that and, and I'm sorry again. The, uh, I think a couple key points though, we can learn some lessons. Number one is, um, that, uh, uh, patients live in this platinum resistant three prior lines, you know, between 12 and 16 months. So they're living maybe a little longer with better supportive care. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I thought they most, you know, they used to live, you know, eight, nine, 10 months. Now they're living 12, 13, 14, 15 months. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that these patients are very sick. Mm. And 40 to 60% of them come off at the first eight week CAT scan. Mm -hmm. And, and so again, the tumors, and so there's some clinical progressions and some bowel obstructions. And, um, so we, we don't, we don't enroll the right sort of patients because if you can't get an, an enough doses of the treatment and two doses is not enough in a mm -hmm. Q four week regimen, um, it's not going to work. So we need, we need to enroll a little bit better prognosis patients. Mm -hmm. and, and those are patients that don't have any hint of a bowel obstruction or any ascites um, and, 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 and uh, you know, maybe even smaller tumors. And um, so the, again, then they say, well, you know, you're, you're cherry picking. You're, mm. uh, uh, and, and that's not fair. So it, 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 we're, we're struggling with this as to how to get the right medicine to the right patient at the right time. And, um, uh, but I, I, we're getting smarter. As I said, we have a lot of platinum resistant recurrent ovarian cancer studies that we're doing many in collaboration with the European network and other parts of the world, mm -hmm. such novel mechanisms of action. Again, 
you know, antibody drug conjugates, many of them tumor treating fields, as you know, gene therapy. Um, so I'm optimistic and, and, and we have, I already said frontline PARP inhibitors, checkpoint inhibitors in combination. So hopefully we'll break through, but let's face it, you know, other than PARP inhibitors and BEV, yeah. we, 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 we've had, and you're like, oh, congratulations, Brad. You had a publication in Lancet Oncology. I don't care about the length of my <laughs> CV. But, and, and, and again, I'm very proud of what the world has done together with PARP inhibitors and bevacizumab. But that's it. Mm-hmm. You, got, you got to go back to, you know, topotecan and liposomal doxorubicin and gem, cytobine, mm-hmm. back, to, back to, you know, 2005, 2006, really. Yeah. And that, you know, that was 15 years ago. You know, we, many of our doctors don't even remember those trials because they're so old. <laughs> and, 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 and all of those medications are generic, fortunately, so they're, they're, not, they're not very expensive. Yeah. But um, we got, we got to punch through. And, and, and Brad, you mentioned, obviously, this is a very vulnerable patient population. Yes. Um, you did patient-reported outcomes. Anything you learned from that that we can apply to future studies? Um, yeah, it's interesting. So um, in, in the Javelin 100 and Imagine 50, in some of these newly diagnosed patients in maintenance, most of those patients are asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. So you can't make an asymptomatic patient less symptomatic that's that in this situation where the patients are vulnerable and sick a good treatment would not only help the patient live longer but live better there would not only be the lack of a decrement but there'd be an improvement Mm -hmm. and you'll say oh monk that's unrealistic no it's not so if you if you if you look at our studies like is cervix and power one with simiplumab or if you look at um, some of our other studies, which I can't really talk about yet, not only do the patients live longer, but the patient report outcomes are better. And we've, we've, made, we've made this sort of narrative that, oh, you know, it doesn't hurt the patient. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're not. It's not that we're trying to not hurt the patient. We're trying to help the patient. <laughs> and, and, and in some of these studies where treatments actually work, mm-hmm. they're actually less toxic than the alternative which includes tumor progression and death. So we, we didn't we didn't learn any real lesson in this trial, but I you know stay tuned to some of our cervical cancer and endometrial trials where uh, uh, patient reported outcomes are much more important. But in a negative trial, they don't really mean much. We do patient reported outcomes to contextualize a clinical benefit, but when there's no, <laughs> no clinical benefit, there's nothing to contextualize. <laughs> So then, Brad, ah, I, uh, ah, I I want to be ah. re- respectful of your time, and I have one last question for you. This is actually uh, sort of a community question from from uh, from the fellows as well. Um, having had the experience that you've had, uh, what you've learned from all of these studies, the, particularly obviously the Imagine Fifty, the Javelin One Hundred, Javelin Two Hundred, and also as patients come to you and ask you, obviously as a leading authority in this field. Um, how do we look to the future? Uh, what optimism do we carry evaluating immune checkpoint inhibitors? And which biomarkers uh, would you propose in evaluating as, as we move forward? Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I always have these silly things. So if a treatment doesn't work, a biomarker is probably not going to make it work better. It, it doesn't work. 
Okay. And, and you might be able to form, you know, identify some exceptional patients such as the folate receptor alpha, uh, uh, opportunity, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to do no more studies of checkpoint inhibitors in ovarian cancer today, uh, until these frontline trials with PARP inhibitors report. And, and if, if we get a positive result, we can capitalize on it. But if we don't, we may just have to accept that, you know, checkpoint inhibitors have no role in ovarian cancer unless they are the rare histologies, which you nicely outlined, that have a, you know, TMB or an MSI high. Um, and, and, and my final point is, you know, what's the best, what's the NCC in treatment for platinum-resistant recurrent ovarian cancer to come back to Javelin 200? Well, the answer is clear. The preferred treatment for platinum-resistant recurrent ovarian cancer is clear, 100% a clinical trial. Mm. And, and that's, that's how we get these uh, you know, tumor-treating fields and antibody drug conjugates and gene therapy. And, and listen, with, with the progression-free survival of uh, liposomal doxorubicin uh, in Javelin 200 of 3.5 months, okay, that's the median. So half, you, you, you know, you, you just got to try to find something better. And then the, the, maybe the, even the final, final point is that guys like you, you know, working at MD Anderson and some of these larger cancer centers, we need a Neil Sood and the team. We need you guys to go to work in the laboratory and give us better direction and better agents. So I'm, I'm grateful, Pedro, for, for this wonderful opportunity. Thank you for all you're doing and for taking so much time with me today. Brad, thank you so much. It's uh, always a pleasure speaking with you. Um, and uh, absolutely, thank you for all that you have contributed to the field of gynecologic oncology, and most importantly, to patients with cancer. Thank you. Thank you.